0: Just hold your hand up. That would be all right. But we simply say it this way. I'm a child of God. Child of God. I, have I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. Word of God. can change lives. change lives, heal broken hearts, heal broken hearts. Save, man's save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, Lord Jesus, today speak, to speak to me in Jesus' name. Jesus name. Amen. 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 Now, the seat can't endure more than what you can endure, so reach over there and hug your neighbor, kind of wake them up, shake them up a little bit, let them know they're loved in the Lord, would you do that? If you're visiting with us today, we welcome you, if it's your first time to be with us, we have a gift for you, on the back table is uh, a book we'd like for you to take home. Uh, just simply stop there and pick it up, and off you go. Uh, Lee Strobel's book, A Case for Faith. Bless your life as you read it, and uh, thank you for being here today. Yes, Geneva. I would just like to praise God because uh, Chris and his wife, uh, Mandy, were in church today. Yes. Uh, months ago, when he was on his deathbed. Yes. He's not healthy, but he's here. He is here. And he's doing the right thing, and I pray God's bless him. Amen. Right. But to choose to spend it in God's house. Is a good thing. Amen. And we're glad Chris is here. I was jealous because he's eating a donut a while ago. But that's a, 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 he's probably eating another one, praise God. I say, man, let him have them. I can't have them, so he might, somebody might as well enjoy them. Praise God. I love you good enough to eat on Thanksgiving Day. Mercy. Mercy. We're blessed, as, as Brother Bryant said. We are blessed, are we? I think next year I want to go to the vocals house. They only had 52. <laughs> What's one more? Right, hey, Amen. Where'd they all come from? <laughs> on Sunday, July 20th, 1969, the first people landed on the moon. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were in the lunar lander, which touched down at 317 Eastern Standard Time. Buzz Aldrin had with him... The sacraments. He radioed Houston. This is Eagle. This is the LM Pilot speaking. I would like to request a few moments of silence. I would like to invite each person listening in, whoever or wherever he may be, to contemplate for a moment the events of the last few hours and to give thanks in his own individual way. Later, Buzz Aldrin wrote, In the radio blackout, I opened the little plastic packages which contained the bread and the wine. I poured the wine into the chalice that our church had given me. In one-sixth gravity of the moon, the wine slowly curled and gracefully came up the side of the cup. Then I read the scripture, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me will bring forth much fruit. I had intended to read my communion passage back to earth, But at the last minute, Deke Slayton had requested that I not do it. NASA was already embroiled in a legal battle with Madeline Murray O'Hare, that celebrated opponent of religion, over the Apollo 8 crew reading from Genesis while orbiting the moon at Christmas. I agreed reluctantly, Buzz says. Eagle's metal, metal body creaked. I think that's an interesting statement. He goes on to say, I ate the tiny host and swallowed the wine. I gave thanks for the intelligence and spirit that had brought two young pilots to the sea of tranquility. It was interesting for me to think the very first liquid ever poured on the moon, the very first food eaten there, were the communion elements. NASA kept the secret for two decades. And the memoirs of Buzz Aldrin and the Tom Hanks Emmy-winning HBO miniseries From the earth to the moon in 1998 made people aware of this act of Christian worship 235,000 miles from earth. We're in a series called what's up with that. We've been talking about our church. We've spoken about baptism and then the other sacrament today I want to talk to you about is Holy Communion. And we're going to celebrate together the communion service, in just a little while. But today I want us to learn what it is. Communion is such a powerful part of our Christian formation. It's a thing that just keeps happening. Baptism is important, but it's a once-for-all happening. It only happens one time in your life. Communion, however, goes on and on and on. Happening over and over again. I'm sure there was great excitement in the first church. The birthday of that church when 3,000 people were baptized. Then everyday life began. Meetings for worship, breaking bread together every day. The Bible teaches us in Acts 2. Baptism into Christ made those new believers new creations in Christ. But breaking bread together made them one church. His body. So the risk that's being taken with communion in a church like ours, where we take it weekly, is that risk of repetition. Now, repetition, on one hand, can be a good thing, but it can also be a dangerous thing if we keep doing the same thing over and over, hoping to get a different result. Usually doesn't happen that way, does it? And the fear is that communion, taking it, Often or weekly can become a meaningless ritual, but on the plus side, it can also be a wonderful, healthy reminder of a good thing that happened for each of us. Repetition is the key to being physically fit. The older I get, the less healthy I am because I used to exercise when I was younger. And I don't understand that why I did it back then, it ought still to have some effect on me now. Lack of creates a problem. I had in my mind already predetermined that I was going to have lack of quantities of food at Thanksgiving. And as I found myself at the table the second time, Prayerfully considering what I had decided to do. I lost. <laughs> repetition is important in learning a language. In, in developing a skill. So the wrong repetition can cause stagnation. But the right one can bring strength. I grew up in a church where communion was offered every week. For those who grew up, say, in a Catholic setting. The communion was... A very important part of that mass. Maybe others grew up, say, in a Baptist church or a Methodist or a a different type of church than our church. Maybe you took it quarterly or monthly or annually. But those services, when you took communion, it, it was very special. But I want us to prepare our thoughts this morning as we get ready to take communion and give you some important things to consider. First of all, communion is a look back. A look back. We can't talk about the communion without looking back to what took place before that. In fact, it's probably best to just start right from the beginning of the book of Genesis. In the first chapter of the story, God created humanity in chapter 1 in verse 27. Created them in His likeness, out of love. And those first humans were free to enjoy everything that God had made with one exception. They were told not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God told them if they ate it, that it would result in their death. And yet Adam and Eve didn't listen. They disobeyed and the first sin against God happened in chapter 3 and verse 6. And from that time on, it was like there was a virus loose in human history. The impact that sin had, that people were separated from God and not one another. And of course, death entered the pictures and just as God had said in Romans 6.23, for all have sinned and the wages of sin is death. Everything was really a mess. Now, God could have said, you did... You did what I told you not to do and you're just going to have to live with the consequences and I'm going to hit the reset button and I'm going to start this thing all over again. But instead, he makes a promise. A promise to rescue us from the mess that we created. How many parents... Well, don't raise your hands. (laughs) How many parents are cleaning up messes that your children have made? Still. Still cleaning up messes that your children have made i correspond with a person in prison now going on five years i now send that person the transcripts to my sermons and then we in turn communicate back about what i preach well he he had a great question two weeks ago that i still haven't got the answer for i'm still digging because i want to be able to give him an answer and I would think after 34 years of doing this that I would have most answers to most questions from the Bible except this one. So I'm going to have to lean on some people that are smarter than me. I know that, that shocks you terribly that there might be somebody that much smarter than me. But we created a mess. But God in His love and kindness and grace says if you'll trust me, if you'll stay close to me, you'll be rescued. And so here's how He does it. He got, in Genesis... It continues by God raising up a family through Abraham, which was amusing because the guy was like 100 years old, the wife's 90 years old, and they had no kids up to this point. They have one baby boy named Isaac, and it's through that baby that comes this family that becomes this huge nation, ultimately leading to Jesus Christ, who then had to deal with the sin. At the end of Genesis, there's a famine in the land. Abraham's family has to go to Egypt to get food. And that's really the first chapter of the story. Brings us back to the book of Exodus. In in Egypt, Abraham's family became quite large over generations. Possibly up to a million, some some say. The Pharaoh at the time didn't know or serve God. He hated this family and this nation that was being uh, built. That's how Islam will take over the world, is they're going to outnumber us by the numbers of children they have. So, go have kids. Christians, let's outnumber them. Eh, or not. Or not. But if you'll look where Islam is strong, it's because they're having ch- children. You ought to see how many of them are in America now. Just in the last five to ten years. And they're being taught Islam. We need to teach our children about Jesus while there's still a chance, while there's still a chance. So Pharaoh hated this family. In fact, he enslaved them. He killed the children. He ra- God raises up then Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let his people go. Mo- Moses repeatedly tells Pharaoh, but he doesn't listen. Eventually, God sends plagues on the nation, systematically di- dismantling Each deity the nation of Egypt worshipped. Culminating with that last plague where God had Moses tell Pharaoh, if you don't let my people go, I'm going to send death into every household and every firstborn child would die. Unless those households in faith get a lamb without blemish or defect, slaughter it, take the blood and smear it on the doorpost of the home, those homes will be spared. And death will literally pass over them as death comes to those families who didn't have faith, and God's people were liberated from bondage in Egypt, there, folks, is the first picture of what we do every week at this table. So every year, this Passover meal in Exodus 12 was celebrated, and is still celebrated today, by many Jewish people. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus. I can remember a professor in college saying that the Old Testament can be summed up in three words. Jesus is coming. (laughs) That's what the Old Testament says to us. All the way through the Old Testament is really chapter 2 of the story. Conversations, prophecies, stories about how the sin problem did not get better. People were waiting. Fast forward now to Jesus. Jesus, born through this family line of Abraham, raised a Jew, celebrated Passover as he grew up. Scripture records his last one as a little bit different. However, in Luke chapter 22, it says this, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks. And he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after the supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Jesus deviates from 1400 years of Jewish Passover history when he says this. Do this in remembrance of me. He now is setting up the stage for why we take communion. In our lives as believers. The bread is my body. That will be broken for you. This cup is my blood. That will be shed for the forgiveness of sin. That first Passover. Involved the death of a lamb. That led to the people of God. Being passed over by death. Delivered from Egypt. Paul says in 1 Corinthians five seven We read earlier. For Christ our Passover land has been. Sacrificed. Jesus is that sacrificial lamb whose blood was shed so that our sin would be taken away and death would literally pass over us. Ever wondered, why all the blood? Why is the blood so often spoke of when it comes to sin and salvation? It's because God wants us to be reminded that our sin issue is really a death issue. Without blood, you have no life. And if your blood is not working right, John is living testimony, you've got a problem. But when the doctors pinpointed the problem and took the spleen out, his blood started working right. His health restored. Hallelujah. But you've got to have the blood. And it's got to be working right. Because without it, it doesn't work right. It just reminds us, about death but I'm not sure we have that same kind of reaction to blood these days a lot of people just pass out when they see it uh, I'm a diabetic so I take shots of insulin and I forget I'll be out in public and I'll just roll up my sleeve and throw my syringe in my arm and shoot myself and y'all see people they're starting to you know wash out <laughs> <laughs> and one person he said I could never do that I said you could if you needed to Trust me. But now I try to be a little more discreet. But now I don't just look at it and go, hey, look here. (laughs) But it's really serious. This blood issue is really serious. And we definitely don't associate blood most of the time with death. If you've ever seen somebody get really injured or, heaven forbid, lose their life, we know that blood is supported inside the body, not outside. The body needs it for life. So, So to break the animal's body and to spill its blood is to put it to death. Some find that offensive. We have men not at church this morning out hunting Bambi right now trying to kill that lamb, try to kill that, uh, that, that deer, that poor innocent deer that just looks at you. Some of them are pretty smart, though. They'll get there and they'll look at you, and then they hide, and you never see them again. Boy, there's guys sitting on the side of trees in the snow. On the tree stand, it's not, bigger, not big enough for their bottom, but, boy, they're hanging up there. They're strapped in. Legs are going to sleep, and they can't come down, but it's awesome. I bet it's a great video moment when they climb out of that tree. And it's really okay if you find blood offensive. It really is. It's not not supposed to be something that we're really okay with. But God gives us a glimpse of His reaction to sin. Because when you see blood, you see a source of pain. Nine times out of ten, there's pain associated with that blood you see. And just because He loves us doesn't mean that God doesn't hate sin and what it does to us, something has to be done. So in the Old Testament, God set up a substitute to pay for sin and death, to reestablish our connection with God. The theological term is substitutionary atonement. And there are different ways to view that as to why God does this. But at the center is the fact that Jesus came to earth, lived a sinless life, died in our place, three days later rose from the dead, and was around for 40 days and then ascended back to the Father so that people understood that God kept His promise. Jesus conquered Satan, death, and sin, and reconciled us back to the Father. So communion is the first look. And just like the Jews who celebrated Passover, it changed the course of their lives, set them free, led them out of despair and drudgery. It was a celebration of God's faithfulness to His people. Communion, as they look back at God's faithfulness to me and to you, we look back at our lives, see the blessings of God, and we need to remember it. We're free from the power of sin, delivered from the situations that sin creates. Maybe there are some marker events in your life that you can remember that God's delivered you from. So it's a look back. Secondly, communion is a look around. The early church began meeting together in homes and to commemorate the Last Supper after the resurrection. Christians have been celebrating the Lord's Supper for nearly 2,000 years. Why do they take communion? Well, for the first and the foremost reason, Jesus said to do it. He asked us to remember Him in this way, and that's why we do it. I can imagine the disciples sitting around that table, little thinking to themselves and maybe even saying out loud, Jesus, do you think that we would ever forget you? (laughs) That's our problem as well. How do I know that? Men, can you tell me the day, the time, and the place and the dress color that your wife was wearing the day you married her? Those of you that are believers, that are Christians, can you tell me the date, time, and the place and who did the baptism in your life? <laughs> He's going from preaching to meddling down here, Mabel. Yeah. So, I mean, we need to remember, don't we? All of you remember birthdays? All of you remember the, the, the anniversaries? Hey, better. That's why I married a girl that was born on Valentine's Day. <laughs> the whole world reminds me, thank God. <laughs> no. How could I forget? Bought her a cup one year. It said, born to be my sweetheart. Put it in the dishwasher and washed it right off. Nobody told me not to wash it in a dishwasher. <laughs> Jesus helps us remember in 1 Corinthians we get not only an account of the Last Supper but also a picture of how the early church took communion. And not all of it is a glowing review. In the early church some were getting drunk at the communion. Some people weren't getting a chance to eat at all because it was usually in homes. Accompanied by a meal. So Paul writes, he reminds them that they're one body. They're supposed to have unity. Not arguing, not bickering, not neglecting ministry. And that's the next thing to do during communion. We look around. The word communion actually comes from that Greek word koinonia. Koinonia doesn't translate well into just one English word because it's too big of a thing. Koinonia means sharing in, participating in, being together in. Having a common union around. We get both the word community and communion from this word koinonia. Communion means we look around and know that we are in, the, in this cause of Christ together. We take care of one another. That's what the church is. What the church should be. And it's so important. That's why Jesus said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift in Matthew 5. The vertical aspect of connecting with God is never separable from the horizontal aspects of our relationship with others. You've got to make sure this one's right before this one's right. That's why Paul says the main way to take the body and the blood is not in an unworthy manner. It's to do it with no concern or awareness for our relationship with each other. It's because we're supposed to see where we are. And that's part of what makes community unique. It reconnects us to the relationships in our lives as we remember who Jesus is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 16 and 17, it says, It's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. And it's not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake the one loaf. It's a look back, it's a look around, and then thirdly, communion is a look ahead. Here at River Oaks, we take part in the communion service every Sunday. We call it communion. Some call it Lord's Supper. Others call it Eucharist. Whatever you call it, it's the same thing because the name is not important, but what we're doing and why we're doing it, that's important. Frequency is not nearly as critical as the purpose why you take communion. Can I say, can I get an amen? Amen. But I still think there are some basic questions that we ought to ask. First of all, who can take communion? Since it's about Jesus, then it ought to be for Christians. Because it's in remembrance of Jesus as me. Not me. But Him, me. <laughs> but not just Christians. Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight 28, that you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Communion also causes you to look within. To see myself as I really am in light of what God did for me. How He died for me, for my sins. An honest look within Can't help but go, wow, the things that He died for me to be forgiven of, but I'm still doing so many of them. That's not pleasant. But it isn't meant to be a look within that leads to beating ourselves up or making some kind of pledge or promise to do better. It's about remembering that we need Him for forgiveness. If we've not attained it yet, that's a good thing. When you haven't quite arrived yet... That's a good thing. But remember that Jesus paved the way and you've got a path to follow. Get on the path. Get on the path. It's the amazing reality of those words in Romans eight one. Now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So remember His significance. We look within. We realize our need for Him. Communion teaches us to do that. Second question... What is used in communion? Well, we keep it pretty simple here. We use loaves of bread. We we don't use loaves of bread or wine so much as unleavened bread and grape juice for the cup. Grape juice because it's the practice of the churches like ours as well as being sensitive to those with alcohol addictions. If you serve real wine, you don't know who you're hindering. We also don't believe that anything happens to the bread or the cup physically speaking. Our Catholic uh, friends... And their traditions teach uh, that, and it's called transubstantiation, that the bread and the wine actually become the body and the blood. Christ, not knocking any of my Catholic friends. I've got several. But we just don't believe that any change happens to the bread or the cup. It's more of a remembrance of what Jesus did for us. In Hebrews 7.27, it says that Jesus' death was paid for sin, not taking of the elements themselves. They help us to remember our need for Him. His death is resurrection. And whatever you believe, as long as it's about Jesus, I can work with that. Because Jesus is what's important. Amen? Good. Another question. How do we do communion? Well, here at River Oaks, we encourage you, as the emblems are normally passed, to take a piece of the bread and take it in the cup and drink it and pass it right along. This morning we're going to do it a little bit different. And when you do that, I want you to take a moment and think about what's going on as you take that bread and as you take that cup. And it's a memorial to Jesus. It's a time to remember Jesus. When and where is the next question? Well, every week here, according to Acts 20 and verse 7, it says the first century church met on the first day of the week And broke bread together. And as history teaches, those meetings were in homes and it was usually around a meal. That's the kind of meeting I like to go to. Amen. At least we're going to eat. But they would stop somewhere in that meal sharing and take communion. And they would have that and share about what Jesus means to them. And that's really important. So the last question is why do we take it? Why do we take communion? Three reasons. Let me cover them quickly. It's a constant reminder that Jesus made atonement for us. The symbols themselves tell us that. There is nothing mystical or magical about the bread or the juice. They emphasize the communion that we have with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 and verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? The bread, of course, symbolizing his body broken and the juice, his blood that was shed and the life that was taken. Second reason is that it's a place of thanksgiving. Communion is a place of thanksgiving. In Luke 22 and verse 19, the Bible says that Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And the word gave thanks in the Greek is the word Eucharisto. Eucharisto. And that Word reminds us that the Lord's Supper is a meal of thanksgiving to God deserving of our gratitude for sending His Son to die on the cross while we were still sinners. It's one reason that we like to take it every Sunday here at the church. And one of the reasons I love being able to do it weekly is it gives me a chance to thank God for what He did for me. It's never routine for me. And I hope it's never for you. So it's a constant reminder. It's a place of thanksgiving. And then thirdly, it's a unifying time with fellow believers. Communion is a compelling call for unity in the midst of our extraordinary diversity. We have meeting here on any given Sunday in this church, people with differing backgrounds, Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Church of Christ, Lutherans. But it's the Lord's Supper that brings us together the closest. It's the Lord's Supper that makes us want to gather together. Communion is not only looking back, looking around and looking within, it's also looking ahead. And remembering our future. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is an act of faith and hope in the one who says that this life is not the be all and all of our existence. That what happens to us in this life is not the way to gauge the meaning of our lives. For those of us who might be in significant pain today, emotional pain, physical pain, financial, relational pain. Communion is looking ahead. It's an act of faith that says this is not the end. There's still yet some to come. A day is coming when, as the Apostle John wrote in Revelation 21, the dwelling of God is with men and He will live with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. It's yet to come. And communion is our time to look forward, to look ahead Nobody knows when that day, when that moment's going to come. Nobody knows. And if somebody can tell you, run from them because they're lying. They know more than Jesus. (laughs) Communion is that act of worship. Helps us look ahead and say, I believe in that future and my hope is in Jesus. And I want to make that future a reality. So here's the challenge for us this morning. (coughs) Preachers who do weddings have different parts of those wedding ceremonies that they like the most. I read about one recently who his favorite time was when the couple exchanged the rings. And in every ceremony, he would say this phrase, whether together or apart for a moment, let these rings be a reminder of the promises and the vows that you're making to one another today. That's a great way to say that. I may steal that. But God doesn't need reminded of His promise. We, however, need to constantly be reminded of what He's done for us and how we're connected to Him. So when we get married, we wear a ring. But as Christ's followers, we meet around this table. And we remember. And we remember. So we look back and remember how God has sent his son to die for us while we were still sinners. We look around and remember the community of people that God gave us. We look within and examine ourselves before God and we look ahead and remember that there will be a day when there will be no more crying, no more death, no more pain. When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. The worship team's going to come and they're going to lead us. They're going to play actually a song.